Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva coming to you again from Vancouver. A very dark and snowy morning that uh, seems to have had a large impact on the city yesterday. I'm recording a podcast today around the January 2011 special issue, and it's going to be slightly different than the podcast that we've recorded in the past, in that we are trying for the first time a four-way podcast between myself and the three guest editors of that issue. So rather than me going down the list and introducing you all to each of them, I think I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves by name and affiliation in turn, and I'll do so by asking you, Tim, to start. Good morning, everybody. My name is Tim Dornan. I'm from University of Maastricht in the Netherlands, but you can tell from my accent that that's not where I was born, and I'm English. And Eugene? I'm Jean McKendry. I'm a senior lecturer in medical education at Hull York Medical School in England, but I'm Texan. <laughs> and Ian, how many countries do you represent? Uh, well, good morning. I'm Ian Robbie, a clinical senior lecturer from the School of Medicine in Wales in the United Kingdom. I have a uh, English mother, a French father, and born in Scotland. So I'm <laughs> in different parts of the United Kingdom, but fundamentally British, I would have to say. <laughs> Thank you very much, and, and thank you all for getting together like this. I know it's difficult to get schedules organized, but I appreciate it. For those of you who haven't seen the January issue yet, you, you may not know that we've continued what started last year, our tradition of making the January issue a special issue, trying to provide some sort of state-of-the-science or state-of-the-art uh, rendition of where the field of health professional education stands. This year is particularly special in that being the centenary of the Flexner Report, and I mean centenary by virtue of splitting the difference between the 2010 North American Report and the 2012 European Report, Tim, Jean, and Ian came up with the wonderful idea of structuring this special issue around Flexner and where we've come and, and where we might be going in the, in the hundred years to come. And so I wonder... Tim, if I could start with you, just by asking you that beyond the obvious of celebrating the Flexner centenary, what led you to the idea or what motivated you to bring this team together to construct this issue? Thank you, Kevin. To answer in a slightly sort of back-to-front way, the reason we did it was actually made clear by one of the people who's written the uh, in the issue, and that's Warren Anderson, who suggests that medical education may be caught up in a sort of rather vicious circle of introspection at the moment. Now, we didn't have that clarity of sight, but we felt that there is a danger in um, a discipline that history sort of perpetuates itself in a sort of way, and that the centenary of something as momentous as the Flexner Report really should prompt us to think about where we've come from and where we're going. And it's actually very salutary to think that if you take particularly the clerkship phase of undergraduate education, which is my main interest, is that it follows in a mould which really was cast by Flexner. And one of my interests has been in seeing if we can try and reconceptualize that. So I think what we wanted to do was to encourage people, both very much from within the profession, from outside the profession of medicine, and even people who are not 
totally committed to the, if you like, the profession of medical education. We wanted such people to hold up lenses through which to look at medical education as it now exists and see whether they could show us possibly rather different directions in which medical education could go. So I suppose I've said what the motivation was behind this, Kevin. Fantastic, absolutely. It also leads nicely into the second question that I had, which I'll, I'll put towards Jean, which was, what was the process you went through? You've put, pulled together an impressive set of authors with a series of quite cohesive themes, even though there are distinct messages in each of the paper. And so I wonder if you could describe for our listeners how you got to this point. Well, I would have to say took the lead on defining those themes, but he pulled together a group of us to discuss, I think, brainstorm themes that we hoped would start from the Flexner report, but then extend into its implications for today and the things that were happening today. So we had areas thinking about Flexner, who was a reformer from a sort of humanist tradition. Is that still an approach that people today are concerned with? And I was quite interested that that extended to things like what are our global responsibilities to medical education around the world. I was very interested in the transitions that Tim was talking about. How do medical students go through the many transitions that they have to to become doctors? And also the foundational knowledge, which there seems to be a lot of struggle and argument today just trying to define our epistemology. So those were the kind of themes we came up with. And then we had a really interesting brainstorm that included you, Kevin, about what kinds of interesting people we could bring together who might want to contribute to those. And I think we've ended up with some really interesting and different perspectives on that. You absolutely did. And in fact, the, one of the things I was most impressed by, given the diversity of the authors and, and the tasks they were charged with, was that there did seem to emerge some interesting themes, and I think that's particularly well represented by the commentary that the three of you created. I know it, it took considerable time and energy and back and forth to analyze the messages coming from each manuscript and try to put together a thematic review that tied them all together. And so I wonder if I could ask you, Ian, what you would offer as the, the key take-home message that emerged from that exercise that the three of you went through. Yes, thank you, Kevin. The processes of the work that we did were one of the messages that I would want to cite in the sense that the three of us uh, were struck by the flexibility in our thinking and when we were reviewing the papers, having gone through the work that Tim and Jean have just described, when we were reviewing the papers, we weren't just following our own interests, we were looking at them to see what was new in a sense and what that brought out in the context of Flexner having laid the groundwork for everything. So the processes that struck me in terms of key messages were to do with the flexibility of the thinking that we needed to bring, and hopefully that will come out through the commentaries and the overall um, editorial that we wrote. The actual outcomes that seemed to be a key message were that the, the learning that goes on in medicine, in medical education, is as much through sharing between people as the learning that we did, the three of us, when we shared our thoughts in an open and constructive way, not in any sense competitively or discriminating against each other, just through an openness and a willingness to share. And that seems to come out in the current position on medical education as well as it did in our discussions. Fantastic. Thanks very much. I'm going to ask... May I, may I just something? Because 
You've been very generous in the attributions you've given. And I think building on what Ian said just now, I think it's very important to point out that actually the copy, as people will read, was, as Ian has said, the result of a process. And it was a process in which yourself played an incredibly important part. But I suppose it's the point about editorial material coming forward from the process of commissioning peer review as being a collaborative building sort of process and actually having authors, if you like, commissioners and then have an editor. So it's my point was just to share the attribution so that it included you as well, but to make to reinforce Ian's point about actually how good scholarly output can be the result of, result of collaborative work. Please excuse me for interrupting. No, thank, thank you very much both for, for the points and for the, uh, the, the comments. I think we really did have an exceptional team of authors and the comments from the reviewers and those who offered the commentaries were really quite fun to be part of. It came together into quite a nice product. In fact, that's the last question I have for each of you is about the product itself. I'm not going to ask you to rank order the papers in any meaningful way, but off the top of your head, if you were to think back or think forward to the papers that will be released next month, each of you come from a slightly different perspective, and so I imagine you, you're taking away slightly different take-home messages. Can you each offer what you think to be the lasting message for you? What piece of any particular article you, you think is going to be particularly useful in moving your own thinking forward? And again, Tim, I'll start with you, if that's okay. Yes, I feel rather a sort of a sense of responsibility here, because it's very easy for me to cherry-pick um, <laughs> what colleagues might like to speak about. I suppose that one of the things which for me was personally hugely important and led to me personally commissioning an article written by somebody who had been my own mentor, and that was Sir David Weatherall. Um, I was very, very interested to look at the scientific epistemology and what future that had. And I think that one of the things that excites me about the output is that, in my view, David Weatherall has come up with, as I would have expected, from a man of his stature, very interesting arguments about why biomedical science is still relevant today, and not just relevant in terms of knowing how the body works, but in terms of looking at the complexity of nature and its ability to induce humility in people. So he draws, I think, a fascinating link between professionalism, which might be seen as a move away from biomedical science, and the capacity for biomedical science to inculcate professional qualities in people. And there's a very nice triad, in my view, between his paper, a splendid article written by Ayelet Cooper and Marcel Dion about the need for disciplinary expansion, which very much makes the case for social sciences and humanities, and then there's a very nice commentary by Jill Gordon, who looks at the points of convergence and divergence between those two. So you asked for a take-home, Kevin, and I suppose that my take-home is that I've seen the case for biomedical science extremely well argued in the 21st century, 
but I've also seen the argument for disciplinary expansion. So it's something about still hanging on to the best of actually what Flexner advocated, which was biomedical science, but also bringing in other disciplines insofar as they're able to illuminate the process of being a doctor in the 21st century. I think that's probably my take home, Kevin. Okay, thank you very much. It definitely became clear reading across the articles that we have come a long way since Flexner and still have some very interesting work to do to figure out continually how to merge all those things together. Gene, can I ask you the same question? What stands out for you in terms of moving your own educational scholarship forward? One of the points that has really stuck with me was the article by Pim Tunison about transitions, and he said in that that we can never make things smooth sailing for students. It's difficult becoming a doctor, and it always will be. But we need to differentiate between what he called the formative struggles that lead to good learning versus adverse struggles that impede it. And I think if we could really think about you know, what are the important struggles for people to go through on their path to becoming a doctor versus the kind of barriers that we tend to put up just because it's tradition or fad or whatever reason. And my thinking about it is, well, how could we do that? And I think Karen Manns and maybe Eric Holmbo's articles talk about the socialization of people into medicine. And maybe we just need to be much more explicit about that and discuss with our students issues of identity and transformation and how you take on responsibilities and to not expect our students to do everything at once because we seem to expect them to be researchers, teachers, leaders and students and everything at once. So let's let people grow up maybe in stages and maybe medicine needs to learn to be a bit more collaborative in its work with other disciplines and other health professions. So that's something I've been thinking about a lot. Okay, thank you. And Ian, same question to you. Thank you, Kevin. Yes, I identified with the triad of papers that my two colleagues have just been describing and certainly see some overlap. I was particularly struck by the emphasis, particularly from Brian Hodges, about the way society is influencing medical education much more than it was in the day of Flexner. It was happening then, but it's moved significantly, I would say, from the analyses we've seen forward and that there's much more influence now from society. That ties in with the Cooper's paper with the issue of redefining knowledge and the epistemology of integrating, indeed as Jean was just saying, between the biosciences and the humanities. And there are many themes about that integration in the, the papers. And I suppose since everybody else has had a triad, I'll get, get a triad in as well. <laughs> The other one I thought of was the, uh, that is still going through our mind is Anderson's paper, worrying about us looking too negatively and introspectively, but also as an outsider saying we've got to be aware of what's going on outside, both before Flexner came out, at the time of Flexner, and now subsequently. We have to be cognizant of that because otherwise we're not going to respond to these outside influences and we're not going to be conscious, particularly of the humanities. So I've got a lot of messages to take away there in terms of the research but also my practical hands-on teaching. It's remarkable again without having had the three of you compare notes ahead of time how complimentary your answers were and how you've spanned the issue so well without all just having the exact same reactions. So thank you again. I'm going to wrap up the podcast very shortly but just before I do let me ask is there anything else that 
any of the three of you would like to, to say before we go offline? I just say thank you to everyone for a great experience in doing it. Thanks, Gene. And Tim, you were going to say something? Yes, I, I will completely echo what um, Gene has said. In the overarching commentary, we picked up a question which none of the authors had picked up on, and which we tagged um, to Professor Kieran Sweeney, which, although he was not somebody I knew personally, he was somebody who was a very powerful influence on me. And so I would just like to highlight the fact that there is a little, maybe uh, an epitaph for Kieran, which is never to lose sight of the fact that medicine is ultimately about the alleviation of suffering and that whatever debates we have in a scholarly sort of way about content or process, we need to keep our eyes on that distant horizon, which is the point on which we close our overarching editorial of medicine as a social good insofar as it can alleviate suffering. That's a beautiful point to end on. So, in fact, I think I am going to uh, wrap up the podcast there and... And I'll do so by thanking the three of you again for not only being part of this podcast, but also the extraordinary and exceptional effort that you put in in creating this special issue. I'm sure our readers and the journal will be all the better for it. And it's, again, in no small part, in fact, almost exclusively due to your vision and your effort. So thank you very much. One last thing I'll say for others just before I get offline is we have been working with the good folks at Wiley Blackwell to try to get the new website up to modern day standards and perhaps surpass some of the things that we and others have been able to do in the past. We're continuing to work on that, but with respect to these podcasts specifically, we've just been able to work through the glitch of linking them all together within iTunes. So thank you very much to all of you who have been downloading them to this point. Those of you who have and who may have just recently discovered them, I'll just alert you to the fact that the motivation for linking them together in iTunes was that there's a subscribe option there. So if you want these things to download automatically and not have to remind yourself to go back and check the website or iTunes every month, then you can click that subscribe button and you'll have them. Again, as always, if you have any thoughts on how we could improve them or things that we could do for the journal, please do feel free to write us. The address is med, M-E-D, at med, M-E-D-E-D, D-U-C, MedEduc, I should say, dot com. And uh, until next time, thank you all for listening. And thanks again to the three of you. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin, Gene, and Tim. Bye-bye.